You're listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. To learn more about Chestnut Ridge Church, visit us online at theridge.church. This time of year, so much of the world focuses on Jesus. But who was and is Jesus? And what difference can he make in our lives? Follow along with our Christmas series titled, He Will Be Called, where we will be focusing on some of the titles, names, and descriptions given to Jesus in the Old and New Testaments. Listen to hear how Jesus is more amazing than we realize and how he can make the difference in our lives. Well, good morning. Oh, <laughs> good morning. Yeah, that was the first one was really just bad. It was just bad. <laughs> Most of us probably have received help from somebody at some point in our lives, and that help made all the difference in the world. Someone stepped in to solve a problem or help us in some way or even provide for us financially. When I was in my senior year of high school, my twin brother and I both decided that we would go to Bible college when we graduated. And, um, and both of us had agreed to do this, except that I told God that I would not go unless three things were true. Number one, that he'd have to provide all the money I would need for that first year. Second, I would need to have that money in my hand before I would go. And third, if I didn't have the money in my hand before I went, I wouldn't tell anyone that I needed money. And I told God, if all three of those things are true, then I'll go to Bible college. Now, that is not how you pray. So, you know, some of you out there thinking, oh, that sounds like a great way to pray. No, we shouldn't be telling God anything. You know, we shouldn't be telling God, I won't do this unless you do this for me. Now, some have done that in the past. I know some people that have turned away from God because they demanded God do certain things. And then when God didn't exactly do what they wanted, then they said, well, there must not be a God or whatever, as if you can force God. But I was a teenager, and to me, it was kind of like uh, looking for a sign. I was, I was really kind of looking for a sign. If you really want me to go you'll provide this money for me and I'll have it right when I need it and I won't have to ask anyone for help. Well, that year I began working and I was saving up money, putting it away for schooling and it, it did not look like I was going to have enough. And then one day this woman showed up in my dad's church, the church where he was a pastor. To this day, I don't know who she is or was. And she was talking to my dad. Somehow she found out that my twin brother and I were both going to be going to Bible college. And she asked the question, do they need any money? And my dad quickly answered, yes. I mean, he knew money was an issue. Our parents had told us ahead of time, we won't give you anything for college. Not because they didn't want to, and I don't blame them. They just didn't have the money. You know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad did not make enough money. There were four boys, and they just knew that they could not afford to send us to college. And so I understood that going into this thing. And so he told this woman, though, I'm, I'm sure they don't, they don't have enough. And then she did something quite remarkable. She opened up her purse, grabbed a checkbook, and she wrote two checks. She verified what our names were, you know. Okay, one Tom. And she made it out for $500, and then she made one out to me. And yes, Tim and Tom, what kind of parents <laughs> would name their kids, their twins, Tim and Tom? 
But anyway, so she gave that to us, and and suddenly had the five hundred dollars, and it was looking promising. And then I got to the, I got to the the very night before we were going to go into the city, and I counted up the money I had plus the the bill and everything. I had it all together there. I was short five dollars, and I began to wrestle with it. It's five, you know, it's close. You know, it's it's almost what I asked for. But I had told God, no, I won't do it unless those three conditions were true. Now, again, I don't, I do not encourage you to pray that way. I won't do this unless you do that. But I was young, and and so that night I went for a walk around the block, and I was praying about it. I, I, I mean, specifically, Lord, I told you I won't go if I don't have it. I'm five dollars short. I can't tell anyone about it unless you provide for me. I am not going in the morning. And then I got back to my house. My dad was walking out around that time, and all of a sudden he pulled out his wallet. And if you if you don't know my dad, which most of you have never met my dad, but he had never done this before in my life. He's not the type of guy that pulls out his wallet and then gives some money. But he opened up his wallet. He gave me ten dollars. He said, "Maybe you're going to need just a little bit extra money here." He had no idea I was short. And I wasn't going to ask him. And again, he'd never done that before. It's like this is like, are you okay, Dad? Type of thing to pull out your wallet and just give us money. It had never happened before, but there it was. And suddenly, I knew I was going to school that God had indeed provided for me. Now, I think all of us have had circumstances in our lives where somebody did something for us or provided for us or whatever at their own expense. They had to pay some kind of a price. In order for you to not have to pay, the problem was solved by someone else's at someone else's expense. Now, today we're looking at a theological term called redemption, and this is what redemption is about.、Uh, redemption means somebody pays a debt you owe, and with the debt removed, you're now free. In other words, when you're under a debt, you're kind of under you're, you're like enslaved to that debt. Even in the Old Testament, you know, it says you're a master to the debtor. If, if you have debt, but to be redeemed means someone comes along who has the ability to pay the debt for you. Suddenly, the debt is removed and you have been set free. This is redemption. The Bible speaks a lot about redemption, and it talks also a lot about what's called a kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman redeemer was a relative who could come in and help pay. Oftentimes, kinsman redeemer was used in the context of land because it's not just people. That could be redeemed, and I'll talk about people in a minute. But you, you can redeem land, and so sometimes, like in the story of Ruth and Naomi, you remember that story, perhaps if you read read the Old Testament, that、um, Naomi had sold her land and、um, she needed the money, and a kinsman redeemer, a redeemer, somebody who would be a kin, would come in, named Boaz, and he ended up paying the debt for her, and so she was set free from the debt that she owed. This is what. Redemption means. Now today we're continuing our series titled "He Will Be Called" to go all the way through Christmas. Last week I talked about the fact that Jesus is the Word, and this series is about different titles, names given to Jesus. And he was—he's called in the Bible the Word in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Very odd title for Jesus, but. Words communicate, and Jesus is God's clearest communication with humanity about what He's like. 
I mean, God has communicated with humanity in all kinds of different ways so that God says people are without excuse. But the way in which he revealed himself the most was through Jesus. Jesus was the living word of God. And so they say, you know, picture's worth a thousand words. Jesus is worth a million words. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if we want to know what God's like, look at the example of Jesus. But today I want to talk about him being our kinsman redeemer. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 to 23, Peter talks about this. He says, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from the fathers. And it was not with perishable things like silver or gold, not with money, something like that, which most things were redeemed with money. It's not that, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or defect, defect or blemish. And so Jesus redeemed us, of course, by laying down his life for us. He paid the debt we owe to sin and to death, and as we'll see in a minute, some other things here. My study Bible has this footnote by the word redeem in the verse I just read. It means the deliverance from bondage by a payment or ransom. And so payment is made. Someone is delivered from bondage because of it. Therefore, they're set free. Now, oftentimes in the Bible, this was used of slavery. Redemption was something very common in the slave market. Now, I want to mention right up front here that there's some people that really struggle with the Bible because it talks about slavery. And it might even look like the Bible endorses slavery. It does not. It does not endorse slavery. But what I do want us to understand about it is that when you read about slavery in the Bible, it's not what you're thinking about in our culture today. It's a different thing entirely. In biblical times, if someone would end up being a slave, I'm only aware of two situations where that would ever happen. Number one is that you were part of the enemy that was destroyed. In other words, you and your soldiers fought a battle and you guys lost. And they would either kill you, which was often the case, the enemy would kill, or they would make you a slave. It wasn't a good thing, but, but that's what would happen. The other occasion where this happened was if anybody in Israel had a debt they couldn't pay, they could sell themselves into slavery. And suddenly they would, they, they would, they would have this debt you know, and so in a sense, what they were doing was working off their debt, but they were considered to be slaves. And so people would subject themselves to this, this form of slavery. But if someone could come along who had the means, and often a kinsman, and they had the means to pay the debt for you, then you could be set free. The debt would be released. You would be set free. And, and that captures the idea. Now, in addition to this, when you think of the idea of redeemed, oftentimes a different word is used, but it's a similar idea, and that is ransom. Do you know what a ransom is, right? If somebody um, kidnaps someone else, oftentimes they will request a ransom. They'll demand a ransom. They'll say, well, if you give me this money, I'll set them free. And then they wait to see if the money comes, and hopefully that's what they would do. So you have this idea of ransoming. And we've been ransomed as well, and we'll see from what in a minute here. But Mark, in Mark 10, 45, we read, for even the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And that says a ransom for many. That's what Jesus did. He redeemed us with his own life. He paid the price so we could be set free from the penalty of sin. 
Dr. Warren Wearsby defines redeem in this way, to set free by paying a price. It's that, it's that simple. So in my opening story, I had a debt, um, and I couldn't pay it. There was nothing I could do to, to, to pay off this debt that I would have owed, $500, which, by the way, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but it, I Googled this to find out what it would be worth today, in today's dollars. $500 in 1977, which is like 45 years ago, when this happened, which I know you're thinking, he's not that old. But like 45 years ago, $500, you know what it would be worth today? $2,500, literally $2,550. And this woman that wrote the check wrote two checks, one for my brother, one for me, the equivalent of $5,000. I did not even know her. She redeemed that debt. It was a significant debt. I, I couldn't have gone. And she paid the price. So often with this subject, there are certain elements that are involved almost every time when you talk about redeem. Number one, there's a debt. Something is owed. Number two, the person with the debt has the inability to pay their own debt. And therefore, in a sense, they're enslaved by it or sometimes literally enslaved because of the debt. Third, someone comes along who has the ability and the willingness to pay the debt and they pay it. And fourth, finally, with the debt paid, the person who had the debt is set free. Now, what I'd like to understand today is that Jesus is our Redeemer, and he came to set us free from everything. Everything bad. Everything. He came to redeem us. This is why he entered this world, to pay in full the price. Whatever the price was, in his case, it was his very own life to set us free. But from what are we being set free? Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. But let me give you one last definition of redemption because I think it captures all the ideas. E.E. E. Carpenter writes, the English word redemption is derived from a Latin root meaning to buy back. Thus, it means the liberation of any possession, object, or person, usually by payment of a ransom. In Greek, the root word means to loose and so to free. It is used to mean freeing from chains, slavery, or prison. Now, the question I want to raise today is, in what ways has Jesus redeemed us? In what ways has he redeemed us? My main takeaway today is this, that Jesus, our Redeemer, came to pay our debt and to set us free. So that's what we walk away with. He's our Redeemer. He paid the debt to set us free. But from what? I want to make three points. One relates to the past. If you're a Christian here today, it relates to your past something that happened in your past. The second is in the present, and the third is in the future, and Jesus redeems us from them all. Let's talk, first of all, about the past. Christ has redeemed us from the power and penalty of sin. Now, if you're a Christian, the moment you put your trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, you were redeemed. He redeemed you by dying in your place for your sin, and I'll explain how that works in a minute. He, he, he redeemed us from both the penalty and power of sin. Now, most Christians, when they think of the word redeemed, think of this. He paid the price that we should have paid. He died in our place for our sin. He rose again for the dead and, th dead, and through him we have forgiveness of sin. But there's a debt that we owe. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, we read, He... God the Father, it's a reference to God the Father, has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in Him. And here you see that this idea of redemption is so closely tied with forgiving your sins. 
Again, it's releasing you from the penalty of your sins. Now, let me talk about that just for a little bit here because sins are like a debt. And I've mentioned this many times before. The sins that we commit are like a debt we owe. Um, and this is why if somebody does something to you that's wrong, you may have said back to them, you owe me. Has anyone ever said that to you? Or did you ever say that to someone else? Like because of something they did that was wrong, you said, well, now you owe me. In the Bible, debt and sin were kind of the similar ideas. And so the King James Version of the Bible from 1611, it's a 1611 version of the Bible, the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Our newer translations translate it, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But this idea of, of a debt is, is, is kind of a big deal because this is what our sins are like. It's, it's kind of like a ledger. Can you imagine if God had a ledger up in heaven for every one of us and he wrote down on that every sin or debt you owed? Every time you did the wrong thing, every time you said the wrong thing, every time you thought some lustful thought or whatever, suddenly it ends up in that ledger. Which, by the way, there may be such a ledger but it doesn't apply to Christians. Ours has been cleaned. A deposit has been made on the other side of the Christian's ledger dismissing the debt. But we've all sinned in so many ways, and Jesus, therefore, was willing to pay the debt for us, and of course he did it with his own life. It was his life in exchange for ours. And the reason he did it that way is because of this one fundamental truth that the, the wages of sin is death. In Romans 6.23, it's a very familiar verse. The wages of sin is death. You, earn a, uh, you, do, you have your job, you earn your wage. Death is what we've earned, and this is why Jesus died. You wonder, why, did you, why a death on a cross? I mean, what does that have to do about saving anyone? Well, it's because that was the penalty. That was the debt. And Jesus said, I will take the full debt for you. When I was thinking about this and also thinking about beginning at Bible college, I was reminded that I used to have a guitar. It was a 12-string guitar. I absolutely loved it. 12-string uh, guitars are just beautiful if they're in tune. Uh, there are 12 strings, and, and it, it's just kind of hard to get them all right. And so you're playing, and if it's in tune, it sounds gorgeous, but if not, it doesn't sound very good. Well, I brought my guitar to Bible college, and when I arrived, my roommate, to my great surprise, had a guitar identical to mine. He had a 12-string. I'd never met anyone with a 12-string. And his was the same brand. It was a Guild Mattiera guitar. And I just could not believe it. We both played the identical. I knew he must be a good roommate at that point. But one day, he had this guitar. The neck of the guitar was hanging over the bed. And it was in one of those cheap cardboard cases that they give you. And I was walking by the bed. I walked by too quickly. I bumped it. It slid and then dropped. And the noise it made when it hit the ground was not a good sound. I thought, oh, that's not good. And my roommate and I looked at the top. It was fine. We looked at the edges. It was fine. But when we turned it around, it was cracked. It was cracked. I had ruined his guitar. You know, sometimes we do things to other people we don't intend to. And this was the case. I... I, I ruined his guitar. So what is, what is the answer? What is the solution? Well, you probably already thought of it. Give him yours. Yeah. That, that would be the solution. Take the fixed one for the broken one. Just as Scripture says about Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. 
so we could become the righteousness of God. An exchange takes place. A substitution takes place. Jesus paid our debt in full. Now, my roommate would not accept this. He refused to accept my guitar. And by the way, some people refuse to accept redemption from Christ. But this would have been a form of redemption. Now, in Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, Paul wrote, he said, We have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of the trespasses, our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. And so again, it's this forgiveness and this redemption. All of us have sinned. Jesus died in our place for our sin. And when we receive him, we become children of God. As John wrote, as many as receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, to those who receive him as their savior, God gives the privilege to become his children. Why? Because your debt has been paid. And God accepts you. Now, in addition to the payment of a debt here, though, there's one other thing about what Jesus did in terms of redeeming us in the past, and that is he broke the power of sin in our lives. For the Christian, Romans 6, read it for yourself, but in Romans chapter 6, it makes it real clear that, that for a Christian, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. We don't have to give ourselves to sin. We think, well, I've got to commit the sin or that. You know, I just I can't say no. Yes, you can. Christian, we've been set free from the power of sin. It's been broken in our lives. And so it's not just the penalty of sin Jesus took care of, but it's the very power that allows us to look at sin and say, I, I used to give myself to this. I refuse to anymore because Christ has redeemed me. He set me free from its power. So my first point is that Christ redeemed us from the penalty and power of sin. Second point I want to make is he, he redeems us from the futility of this life. And this point relates to the present. Christ has redeemed us from the futility of this life. One of the most discouraging books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes. I mean, arguably, it's, it's one of the most discouraging. <laughs> you know, I think Lamentations might be worse. But Ecclesiastes, it's a book about the futility of everything. You know, some versions begin it by saying, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. A lot of translations these days put it, futility, futility, everything is futile. It was written by Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but Solomon is someone who would know what mattered in life because he kind of had it all. And the book of Ecclesiastes begins to explore what's the meaning of life. What is, is life worth living and, and what brings happiness and what brings joy? And so he asks the question, is it money? Well, here's a guy again, he had everything. He said, it's not, it's not there. He gives specific reasons why money doesn't satisfy, you know? Is it education? Maybe by having education, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's building things, you know? build monuments in your honor, that kind of thing. Maybe it's relationships or whatever. He goes after one thing, after another, after another, after another. He concludes through the book of Ecclesiastes, all of it is futile except one thing. Fear God, serve him. He talks about this, your relationship with God is the only thing that matters. See, this world is, is temporary. It was never meant to be the thing that steals our heart. We can enjoy this world. We're not to love the world. And it's all also been kind of cursed by sin, which I'll probably talk about in a minute here. But Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, he said, For you know you were redeemed 
from, and then what does he say? Your empty way of life. It's just the emptiness of life inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, as we read before, but precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect and blemish. In the process of setting us free from the debt of sin, he also released us from the futility of this life. The things in this world, do, do, don't, they don't satisfy. They, they, they don't lead to happiness. A scholar by the name of T.R. Schreiner explains it this way, the life of unbelievers before their conversion is futile, empty, and devoted to false gods. Such a way of life has been handed down from the forefathers from generation to generation. The things of this world do not satisfy. Jesus came to set us free from a life of futility where suddenly we become, if we put our trust in Christ, children of God. Suddenly our purpose is to please our God. Suddenly everything in life has meaning, but most people don't understand that. And so what do they do? They give themselves to these other things. A lot of people think, for example, if they have money, they'll be happy. You know, if, if I finally have this bill paid off, if I finally am making a good salary, I'll finally be happy. And then they get there and they find out it, it doesn't work that way. All they want is more. It's like it, it, it never resolved itself. People buy things thinking, if I buy this thing, I'll really be happy. It'll bring joy to my life. That new car, you know, that new guitar, that guitar I bought was that to me. I'd saved up money for that guitar, the Guild Mattiari guitar. I played it for a day and I thought, okay, what next? You see, things in this world, they just don't, they don't, they're not eternal. They weren't meant to be eternal and they don't satisfy. Maybe you thought, if I finally get that dream job, if I get that promotion, finally I'll be happy. None of these things, none of these things satisfy. The, the bottom line is this world cannot satisfy, was never intended to. But God fully satisfies us because we were created for God. And to the degree that we connect with our Creator and we're living our lives in lining up with what He says is the right way to live, then we're going to experience, I think, joy and happiness. Instead, we anesthetize ourselves because of the pain of the world. Alcohol, drugs, sex, things like that. Where we think, well, that's where it is. It's not. It's in Christ. And so through Christ, we are redirected to a different way to live and that way to live is a kind of a life-giving way to, to live. I mean, even the pain we have is good. That's been redeemed as Christians. We know that even the bad things that happen serve a good purpose. It's, it's wonderful, everything, because Christ has redeemed us from the futility of this world, and he's set us on a course to live differently, which is life-giving. Titus puts it this way in Titus 2, 11 through 14. I'm sorry, Paul does to Titus. He said, for the grace of God has appeared with salvation or bringing salvation for all people. It's available to all. It doesn't mean everyone will find salvation or deliverance from their sin, but the grace of God appeared making it possible. And then he goes on to say, instructing us to deny godliness, godlessness, I'm sorry, worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his possession, eager to do good works. This is what it's about. We are the people of God, eager to do good works, and our works have meaning. Your kindness has meaning. God sees all of that. When you serve Christ, when you work hard because... 
because you're a child of God and you're serving God, not just your employer. It, it's a pleasing way to live. It's a life-giving way to live where God suddenly is at the center of all of it. But to the degree we give ourselves to this world, we're not going to experience this. And so first, Christ redeemed us from the penalty and power of sin. Second, he redeems us from the futility of this life. And then finally, in the future, Christ is going to redeem us from the curse placed upon all of creation. There is a future redemption that's coming where things are going to be redeemed. Now, Jesus paid the price of the redemption, but it hasn't yet been fully redeemed. It's partially redeemed. What I mean by that is because of Christ paying the redemption, many, if not most of you, have been redeemed by Christ. And so you now have been changed. You are going to heaven. You have eternal life. You are a child of God. And so the redemption has started in your life, but it's, it's, it's not over yet. This world as we know it is not the way God created it. I'd love to get a glimpse of it, what it was like back in the Garden of Eden, but before Adam and Eve sinned, there were no thorns or thistles, no death, no sickness, no sorrow, no pain. Those things were not part of what God created, but then, you know, sin came into the world and a curse came on everything. It, it's like a, a curse that just plain descended on everything on this earth, and all of it is stuck in this, this mucky place. And Christ came to deliver us from that. So Paul wrote in Romans 8, 22 and 23, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, so we've experienced some of this redemption, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And the first thing will be that we'll get a new and glorified body. If you know Christ, when Christ comes back, you're going to get this new and glorified body. I'm looking forward to that. I hope my version's a little taller and has hair. I don't think I'll care back when that happens. But we're going to get a new body, and, and this one does ache. So I, I would be glad to get rid of that. And I'm looking forward to that, but that's just the start of it. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. And, and all of this was accomplished through Jesus Christ. I won't have us turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 15, it describes the fact that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, there's going to be the blowing of the trumpet, and we will be changed in that moment, and we're going to have our glorified bodies, and Christ is going to reign. And, and it's because the corruptible has to assume incorruptibility. As we read in the Scripture, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. We need to be changed. Jesus made that possible, and that relates to our future. So let me summarize and give a couple of applications here. First of all, Christ redeemed us from the power and penalty of our sin. Second, from the futility of our lives, which, I, I, again, I think knowing God, Solomon understood this, knowing God is what life's about. We are created for Him, and when you're connected properly to Him, I view it as like a light bulb that's properly connected so that it produces light. We were connected to create with our connector. And then finally, Christ is going to redeem us from the curse one day in the future placed on all creation. So for some of you, uh, the question I'd like to ask you is, have you been redeemed? Has there come a point in your life where you've recognized that you have a debt of sin and you can't, you can't pay it? If anything, in your efforts to pay your, off your debt, you're sinning more 
I think the ledger is getting longer. That's true of me as well. We can't fix that. That's why Jesus came. He came to die in your place for your sin. He paid the debt in full. But you've got to receive it. You can't be like my roommate who said, I won't take your guitar. We need to say yes to Jesus. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you're already a Christian here today, I want to mention a few things to you. One is that we've been set free from slavery to sin. When you put your faith in Christ in the past, you said yes to Jesus and the sin issue was dealt with. Paul writes time and time again, don't then become re-enslaved. Why would you want to give yourself to the thing from which Christ freed you from the penalty and the power of sin? Why would we gravitate toward those sins? As Christians, we need to be able to say no. Second, I want to encourage us to live under the truth that our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. John wrote, don't love the world or the things of the world because the love of the Father isn't in you. This is, this is a, we're passing through. But it's, it's not over yet. Eternity is heaven. Our citizenship is up there. What if we lived in the reality of that, that everything I do, the only thing that matters is what matters for the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus said, by the way, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And I'll take care of all this earthly stuff if we do that. And then finally, I just want to encourage us in the hope that we have of being redeemed one day. Life gets hard. It's hard to make it through, but we see at the end. And as Christians, we understand that one day everything's going to be made brand new. I'd like to close in prayer, and then we're going to sing a song for you called His Name is Jesus. One of the things about our Redeemer is that He's not just our Savior, but He's also our healer and our King. And this song talks about or raises the question, what kind of king would do what this king did? namely to die for his subjects. What kind of king would do that? So we're going to sing this in a minute, but let's close in prayer. Father, we're so grateful that through your son Jesus, we find redemption. The price was paid, the debt was solved. And therefore, we've been set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. But thank you also that we were transferred into the kingdom of your son. And so we're living a different life. We're in this world, but not of it. Help us to live in the reality of that, but also keeping our hope fixed on the day when you come back and we'll experience the grace that comes from knowing you face to face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.